Shameless Picture Show is part of the Cinepunks Network. If you like the Shameless Picture Show and you want to hear other great shows like it, make sure you check out the Cinepunks Network. You can find them at www.cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. There's other great shows such as Cinepunks. There's the Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Fat Girl Hacks, Loud Fast Philly, Tomb of Ideas, and Twitch of the Death Nerve, and so much more. If you like punk rock and you like movies, make sure to go to www.cinepunks.com. And let's not forget the sponsors for the Cinepunks Network. We have the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They are the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley with service to the whole country, professional and personable in a way that only a DIY business can be. They also have ridiculously low prices for whatever your screen printing needs may be. You can visit them online at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We also have the Essex Coffee Roasters. They're, all their coffee is roasted to order. They have high-quality beans, bunch of apparel, and tea available. They are bringing high-quality coffee to the masses without the pretentiousness. Use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. You can visit them at www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. That's E-S-S-E-X, coffeeroasters.com. Once again, use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. Big shout out to the band Crossed Keys uh, for lending us that awesome fucking music during our little ad. That song is called Who We Never Were. You can buy that single currently off of Bandcamp. The band is called Crossed Keys. It will be on their full-length album, Believes in You. Uh, that song was lent to me by Crossed Keys, specifically, uh, I don't know if he goes by Joey Angel or goes by Joshua Alvarez, but I met him as Joshua Alvarez. He's the co-host of Cinepunks, our fucking network. And I told him, I love this song, I want to use it, so that way people don't have to just listen to me talk. And he said, fuck yeah. So please, if you like the song, uh, the song is called Who We Never Were. You can get that on Bandcamp currently. Uh, it's off of their album Believes in You. You can get the 10 song. The 10 song LP is out May 5th, Friday, May 5th. Uh, you can actually order it on vinyl right now. So go show them some love. Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, 
and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition, or Blu-ray, and The Angel Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Hey guys, Michael here from the Shameless Picture Show. I just wanted to record this little intro. Uh, If you hear any noise, it's because my wife is outside. My beautiful and talented wife is outside with the wood chipper. But I did want to come in and just give you guys a, a trigger warning for this episode. On this episode, Nick and I will be discussing... The uh, Dungeons and Dragons themed movie, Mazes and Monsters. And in this episode, we do talk about mental health. We do talk about uh, a little bit about suicide because this movie is loosely based on a real event where um, the, um, the person that this is about does take his own life. Uh, but then in the context of the film, there is uh, uh, monsters and stabbings and things like that. But I did want to at least come on and mention uh, about the mental health aspect, suicide. If these topics are difficult for you to listen to, we apologize. We try to be as um, eloquent as possible when it comes to it. But I did want to give you a warning. Just that way it's not a surprise. So as always, we appreciate your support. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. podcast actually discusses movies be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings surprise twists unexpected cameos and all manner of spoilers if this doesn't appeal to you why listen to a movie podcast without further ado please enjoy our feature presentation the shameless picture show Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers and with me as always is the level nine druid of my life Nick Richards, roll for initiative. Roll for initiative. Points of inspiration. <laughs> How you been, Nick? I've been good. <laughs> How have you been? I've I've also been good. It's been good. um, it's you know, this last week was a little was a little hairy, but it's like it's I it's stuff I did to myself. So anyone who listens okay. to this sh- show knows that one a couple things about me. One, I bite off way more than I can chew. <laughs> And I will do a lot to get, um, I don't know the right right way to say it, so I'm just going to say it. I do a lot to get free shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, so I, I do I do physical media reviews uh, over on TikTok because I felt that was a good way to kind of expand the brand a little bit more. And then I could show off the disc and not just, you know, us talking about it. Or yep. better yet, me talking at you <laughs> about <laughs> what I just watched. And... Um, so last week we watched uh we had a free night and i wanted to watch something that had to review so i i um i gave amanda a choice 
you know, I pretty much said, here's my stack of stuff that I need to watch. What interests you? And we watched a movie from Vinegar Syndrome um, called The Devonsville Terror, which okay. was fun because it was shot in Wisconsin. Ooh. And it was about witches. Um, and it has Donald Pleasance. So it's like, oh, there's a lot of weirdness to this. Like, right. Um, and then um, the weekend came. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to record one of these reviews. And then I, I was like, well, let me check my little spreadsheet to see what's coming out next. Uh, I try to do it by release date. It's not always possible, but I was like, well, let's see what's coming out next. And I realized, oh, I have um, uh, a title that's coming out soon. It's actually that new movie, Babylon. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, it comes out Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, okay. Well, we're going out of town on Saturday. If we watch this, you know, Sunday night, I can knock out the review on Monday. Easy peasy. And then I got uh, uh, another movie in called Dragon Slayer from the okay. 80s. Um, that's also coming out today. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Why did I watch that one movie when I should have watched one of these? <laughs> so it was a lot that I did to myself, but... I got my review for the Vinegar Syndrome film done. I got the review for Babylon done. I'm going to watch Dragon Slayer this week. I feel like that one, I could take a couple extra days because they sent it to me late. Okay, yeah. That's my, you know, Babylon, that's on me. They sent it to me two weeks before it released. That's on me. Dragon (laughs) Slayer, they sent me three days before it came out. That can wait a couple. That's going to come up by Friday. Right. What do they expect? Exactly. And then actually, I just got a new title in today that I thought came out at the end of February, like a month ago. Uh, it's a it's a collection of silent avant-garde movies, which is appealing Ooh. to like a very small subsection of people who listen to this show. Um, and I was like, well, that's supposed to come out a while ago, but okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll start working on it. At least if it's shorts, like I can kind of fit them in here and there. And, sure. Yeah. It's not as big of something that you have to really set aside to take in. That being said, they're experimental films and they're silent, so we'll see. <laughs> but I chose this title knowing what I was getting myself into. You know, if, any, if they sent that collection to anybody to review, like it feels like it's safe in your hands. Like I feel like you will give it a review in context that a lot of film reviewers would not. Yeah, and it's not just like silent for the sake of being silent. Like these are like from the twenties, so they're old. <laughs> they're they're silent because they didn't ha- sound <laughs> wasn't didn't exist yet. yet. <laughs> sound didn't exist yet, so it's like okay. That that's the reason I wanted this collection is because it's like it seems exciting. Like. Okay, we have the early days of, like, at the point when these probably were coming out, cinema had only been maybe, like, no more than, like, 20, 30 years old. It was a baby yep. genre. So, there, you know, it's, you know, early on when, you know, right after the Lumiere brothers filmed that iconic shot of the train entering the station, two things happened from that point on. There was one subsection. I was like, man, this is amazing. How can we use this to show people fucking? And porn came to be. <laughs> yep. Pretty much, like, instantly. Like, oh, man, that's impressive. Can we get some naked ladies? 
<laughs> and then there's another part of people there's another group of people who are like this is great how can we be artists with this <laughs> how and can we break it <laughs> yeah and we're already like oh like i'm you remember that episode of the simpsons where they the barbershop quartet episode oh yeah of course and uh barney's sitting there being like we uh it's like barbershop is on is on the way of becoming old and played out i want to take it to new exciting territory and i imagine people were doing this in the 20s like this this genre <laughs> Like, they hadn't even figured out how to tell a visual story 100% yet. They're like, we're going to fuck this shit up. <laughs> I liked the small uh, uh, crossover set of those two Venn diagrams that led to movies like Booty Nights, where it was yeah. like, I want to do really intellectually interesting porn. <laughs> Whenever I think of, like, a pornographer, I think of uh, Burt Reynolds. Because yeah, of that and, movie. Well, and the mustache. Yeah, and the mustache. <laughs> to, to be fair. And if, and uh, for anyone listening, um, oh, hopefully someone's listening. Um, <laughs> if if uh, if you are fascinated by the early days of filmmaking and the transition to sound, this movie I just reviewed, Babylon, is a is perfect for you. It's directed by Damien Chazelle, who did Whiplash and La La Land. This is about a uh, subsection of people who are getting into the film, like some on their way up in the film industry, some on their way down, you know, that story. Um, who People who are just getting their start in like 1926 when shit was still, like they're showing like, you know, three movies being shot on set at one time. People would, you know, them hiring homeless people to be extras, people getting hurt. It was fucking wild. And then um, the jazz singer came out and changed fucking everything. Um, and then people who were once successful in the silent era were struggling because they had annoying voices or they couldn't do it correctly. And it's all about that transition from, from, you know, uh, the silent films to talkies, uh, insert Futurama clip of, from the Harold Zoid episode. Pretty much. Pretty much, or that, or that scene in Singing in the Rain when they're talking about like how talkies are gonna ruin everything, <laughs> and they can't cast that one actress because she's got an annoying voice, and that scene is actually in the like, uh, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> there's a character who's who's involved in the film world and leaves it and decides to come back after years, uh, and has never has not watched a movie since he was making them, and went to go see Singing in the Rain. Has like an emotional reaction, seeing like shit that he lived on screen. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Bonkers. Yeah. So how have well, you been, Nick? I feel I've like been... I've been monopolizing that conversation. <laughs> no, it was it was all good stuff to hear. Um, <laughs> so you will be happy to hear that I did finally get all caught up on The Last of Us. Yeah. <laughs> what a mind blowing show! The story, the writing on it, and the performances are so good, and. Like I just, knew what was coming because I I played the game and I was still swept up in it. Yeah, the the, the storytelling is phenomenal, mm-hmm. just just crazy, um, and just like everybody else in the world right now, I also want to marry Pedro Pascal. Yeah, and like good for fucking him. Like he's been an actor who has just kind of been there for yep. years like looking back it's like oh he was in that oh he was in that he was just kind of always there and then he just happened he got really fucking lucky with the one-two punch of the mandalorian and then now this 
it's it's that uh single dad character needing to protect a, a childlike yeah. character that he just and th- he's nails. Got, he's got <laughs> crazy range because, like, you know, he he'll do the Mandalorian, he'll do The Last of Us, but then he was also in that uh, the Nicolas Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Just playing. Oh, I like, haven't seen that yet. He's just playing like a man child. <laughs> nice. Uh, just a wide-eyed like man child. I um, cannot wait. <laughs> and then uh, he also. He was the best part of Wonder Woman, uh, I think it was like Wonder Woman 85 or 84, whatever 84. the scene, 84, he plays, I guess, kind of the bad guy. He plays like a, the stereotypical coked out 80s villain. <laughs> right. With like big hair, he's very like Donald Trump in his deliveries. <laughs> and like, it's like, oh, he can do, you know, the strong silent type, but then he can just, he can do broad comedy effortlessly. Yep, yep. He's charming as hell. Yeah. And he kind of looks like a sad puppy. Right? He reminds me of Walter Matthau because he's kind of got those jobs. <laughs> but but young Walter Matthau in his prime. <laughs> yeah, sexy Matthau. <laughs> like, you go back and watch uh, um, Kid Creole when Matt, Walter Matthau played the, the, the mobster in, in an Elvis movie. <laughs> That was a deep. That was that was a that was a deep cut reference. There, it went it went deeper than <laughs> I was able to swim. I have not seen that one. <laughs> yeah, you got like baby Walter Matthau, and then you got middle aged Walter Matthau, and like the Bad News Bears, or they're taking a Pelham one two three, yeah. and then you got Mister Wilson, Walter Matthau, <laughs> or uh, uh, Grumpy Old Men. Thank you. God damn it. Yes, Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> I was pretty confident that's what you meant, but. <laughs> or, I wanted to uh, give you a minute. Well, uh, thank you for letting me be a grumpy old man with really shitty memory. <laughs> I, me and Amanda do that all the time where she'll look at someone and uh, she'll be like, that person. And I'll instantly tell her what she knows it from because it's one of those situations. And she's like, oh, I love that I could just like point at someone and you tell me what I know them from. And it's <laughs> one of those situations like I think it was like I see an actor and like I can, I'm starting to like my the database is going through of all the places I know them from, and then a second database is going through and be like, which one of these has Amanda seen? And then we've watched. Re- okay, it's this one. Dude, you've built an API to cross-reference the two databases. But kind of, and that's just all my brain. But nice. <laughs> so how's it been over in uh, Maryland? Uh, quite merry. Uh, <laughs> same old, same old. Just. Uh... Going to work and keeping the kids alive and rinse and repeat. I haven't heard any bad news, so I assume all the kids are still breathing. They're all they are all vertical and relatively healthy and Relative. decently adjusted and <laughs> they did live through a pandemic, so Yeah, they're doing it like like and let's use Lane as an example. Lane is uh, uh Nick's eldest daughter. She lived through a pandemic and she willingly uh, puts mustard on her watermelon. Like she'll survive anything. <laughs> that that is because of Lizzo. Apparently, that's a Lizzo thing. Well, she does it, and she still enjoy, and she actually enjoys it. So yeah, peer pressure is strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep. I'm trying to. Um, Zen's not the right word. I'm trying to give myself mental space to. Ch- well, I I can talk about this. I guess. Um, so 
I think I mentioned before I'm back in therapy. Yes. Um, and um, I have been but diagnosed is kind of a weird word in, in mental health circles, but um, I have severe anxiety and moderate pervasive depression. Per- pervasive? Pervasive, meaning it's been around for a long time. Ah, okay. Like it's not just a, a spike of depression. It's been there. It's lingering. Um, yes. Um, so I'm learning to identify that stuff in a way that I've never been. Like, I, I've had it all my life, and I had no idea. The, it was a huge, like, awakening revelation that I've had. And realizing that the way that my brain works could be better and so when when a thought comes up now it's like okay is this a thought or is this out of scale anxiety you know is this a part of the problem and so i've been able to start to identify that stuff and it's it's helping a lot um it's been really good the problem is is it's also exhausting oh i bet like it's it's an anxiety that I have to challenge on a like minute by minute basis. So it's um, and you also have a pretty stressful job too. So that doesn't it, probably help. Yeah, it. like the I wouldn't say the job specifically is stressful, but the the amount of energy that I need to put into my life in terms of like having a, a full-time job with a smaller staff who is doing larger scale projects adds a certain amount of stress and and being a parent of four kids is as we were just talking about through the pandemic is t- takes a lot of bandwidth and I think I'm you know I'm I believe that I'm a really good dad and I believe that I'm a good employee um, and a very good partner to my wife but it's it only leaves so much energy left to like you're, you're like put a, into yourself. You're like a Stretch Armstrong. Yes. Where two yes. kids are pulling on both four sides kids. of that <laughs> four, four kids on each limb. Are, are pulling on that Stretch Armstrong and just wondering like when is that thing going to break? <laughs> right. Give so, the Stretch Armstrong some rest. So now I'm I'm retracting back, trying to find my original shape. Yeah, it's like <laughs> to continue the metaphor. Yes. No, but I'm I'm glad you are uh, doing what you can to give yourself some time and to recover that bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. But uh, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about, I think we could get onto the topic. No, yeah. Let's I, I say we roll for initiative. Okay, on this. See, I must have rolled a one because I, I, I'm a, I already fucked up. On today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, if you didn't read the description or the title or see the pic, the just little going picture, in blind. Uh, I hope there's someone out there that just listen, like they like they don't even pay attention. They're like, oh, new Shameless Picture Show, click. Just just bring it on. I don't care. Yeah. But on today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we will be discussing a film that is on both of our shamelists. I chosen by it's true. Nick, <laughs> Stephen Hilliard Steins, Stearns, Mazes and Monsters. Mazes is mon- 
fucking hate this title. <laughs> Mazes and Monsters is a made-for-TV movie based on Rona Joffe's book with the same name. It tells the story of four college friends attempting to get a group together for a fantasy role-playing game entitled Mazes and Monsters. I wonder if that's ripping off. <laughs> this is more than a game for these four. It's very clearly a big part of their life. Multi-hour gaming sessions many times a week is commonplace, and in some ways it's even taking precedence over their schoolwork. However, once the youngest member of the group, JJ, decides to take their role-playing game to the next level, things get a little out of hand. JJ proposes they play for real, but heading down into an abandoned mine to take a more live-action approach. One of the players, Robbie, while in the mine, sees what he believes to be a real monster and is and his already unhealthy obsession with the game begins to seep into his real life when he loses track of his if he's Robbie or his character. Made in 1982 during the satanic panic that ruled the 80s, Mazes and Monsters was commenting on how role-playing games would be related to psychological concern. So that's the, the hypothesis that they're choosing to fucking go with. Rona Joffe's book was loosely based on the disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III, who was a student at Michigan State University. Egbert was a huge Dungeons & Dragons fan who had disappeared from his dorm room and who had ended up killing himself. However, the film is of note as it features Tom Hanks' first acting role. Yeah. <laughs> the film stars Tom Hanks, Chris Makepeace, which is a great name, Wendy Crewson, and David Wallace, and was written by Tom Lazarus based on Rona Joffe's book. Originally airing on CBS from 1982 and directed by Stephen Hilliard Stern, this is Mazes and Monsters. Tom Hanks and his friends get caught up in a deadly game of fantasy. I am the maze controller. Until they take it too far. I propose we play Mazes and Monsters in a real setting. It won't be a fantasy. Too bad for one of them, because now there's no turning back. This is only a game. I know, I killed somebody. Mazes and Monsters. Saturday at 3 on ZTV, Fox 17. One thing I want to mention before we get into the topic. Yep, okay. uh, That is related to the film. I love in the 80s that, that there was a trend of like crediting a character in the title so so they'd be like you know tom hanks wendy Crewson, david wallace and chris makepeace as jj i always love that like and they, they usually do and blank if it's a big name or if it's someone who maybe it's their first role or something but i always love that there was a trend of like this actor as this person and the per and the character name was always something really fucking goofy like <laughs> jj or chuckles or slap nuts like whatever like there was a period of time oh, especially especially in like comedies where it was always like some goofy fucking name like i don't know I just that, that was a, that was amusing to me it's it, yeah. it this movie's not as bad with jj but it's still kind of funny well, and I think it's um, a result of, like, trailers from the earlier generation. I'm thinking, like, the 40s and 50s, where it was less clips from the film edited together to tell a synopsis, and more mm-hmm. like you were just seeing some scenes while a narrator was, when, you know, the, the Frank Sinatra as the, you know... Tom Hanks as, as slap nuts. Yes, as, as so. 
<laughs> oh, slap nuts. <laughs> Tom Hanks is 26 in this movie. You know, in in watching this film, you can see that he is in a different acting caliber than the rest of the cast. Oh, 100%. Like, I didn't <laughs> not love this movie, but he was easily the standout of this movie. If, if an alien came down to Earth and their first exposure to the human race was the 1982 made-for-TV Canadian film uh, Mazes and Monsters, then they would be able to go, you know what? I bet that guy's going to make it. <laughs> Out of everyone in this movie, that guy's got something. That, that Thomas Hames says something going on. You know, that dude from Bosom Buddies? I think he's going to be a big star. <laughs> the Burbs. Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> you know, the Money the Pit. Oh, so good. <laughs> Oh, God, we just rewatched The Money Pit recently, and it holds up really fucking well. <laughs> so, Nick, this was a, a... So, this is on both of our shameless. I will say it's not 100% a shameless entry for me, because I did start watching it a couple years ago and fell asleep. Uh, so, okay. I saw, I saw like, 15 minutes of it, but it's still a shameless entry. I, I think that still qualifies uh, as a shameless this, title. This was a title that you came in like swinging with when we planned out, like when we planned out the season. We you know we kind of came in with our options like oh how about we do this one yeah that's a good one but like you pretty much came in you're like we gotta do mazes and monsters that's how I, I remember it. I've wanted to do this movie for like four years now. Why the, the fuck didn't you mention it sooner? It's it's always on my list, and I think I have thrown it out, but never it just never made it to top tier status. And season seven, boy, <laughs> mazes and monsters was getting dusted off. So, I don't know if I want to ask like where you first heard about this first. If I want to get your impression, let's get your impressions. Tell me what you I, thought of mazes uh, and monsters. I, I I'm gonna try and turn it around on you and see if I can do it oh. without a wrestling match. And I'd like to start with you and your impression. What did you think of Mazes and Monsters? Okay. And I'll I, I think before we hit this part of the conversation, I'd like to qualify that I am a big Dungeons and Dragons player. Yes. And if my understanding of of your experience with it is right, it's enthusiastic and active but maybe not as as deep of a D and D benches as I might have. Is yes. that accurate? Yeah, one hundred percent. Um so I didn't love Mazes and Monsters. You didn't? No. Uh not not really. <laughs> Uh, I will say I, I find I find it curious enough that with some time removed I probably will go back to it. Okay, um, I did at at the end when the credits rolled. I go, this is not the last time that I watch this film. Like I knew right out of the date that I will be watching this movie again <laughs> at some point. Um, one thing I will say, you know, just to be complimentary. <laughs> this is the the way that they play mazes and monsters is the way that I've always kind of wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons where I just not necessarily down in like a fucking abandoned quarry or whatever but yeah. like you know they just take their shit really seriously it's not you know they're they're larping really is what they're well, doing well not that part like early on when they're playing and just around the table and everything like they just they they really just are like trying to have a tell a good story yeah, yeah. and i find okay. that inspiring you know yes it's not like um 
you know, because like <laughs> there's so many times you always have one group or you always got the one dude who, who who's just going to be like, I'm going to be slap nuts, <laughs> the unconquerable or some shit like, you know, he's like, you're not taking this seriously enough. Um, we're just going to keep going back to that joke. <laughs> It's we're recycling it. We're we're upcycling it. <laughs> Slap nuts is just gonna continue on. Um, but honestly, like watching this, I think I felt about watching this the way you felt about watching Galaxy Quest. Not in that I thought it was okay. like, too similar to like my own life, where I felt those kind of. I I didn't like their thesis statement. That they were trying to get at. That, yeah. Because the movie started off as kind of like, oh, here's this game that we like to play. But it really did have kind of an anti-Dungeons and Dragons um, satanic panic bent to it. Um, and I found found myself, the more I watched it, getting more and more pissed off about that as I watched the film. Um, and then... You know, especially learning more about uh, the person that it's loosely based on. Right. Like, there's a lot of things that went into why Tom Hanks' character started losing his marbles. And none of them had to do with that fucking game. But instead, we had like a a five-minute scene kind of explaining some of his pathos, which should be like what we should be analyzing a little bit more but instead oh he's too obsessed with this game clear i don't know i found myself just getting annoyed by it um yeah (laughs) here here's my if i were to have a hot take about this i've read up a little about people's reactions to the film not not very comprehensively but i've gotten a few samples with which to kind of compare against my own reaction and here's what I would like to challenge that idea with. Okay. Um, I First off, you're not wrong, and I think your reaction is uh, the, the common reaction to it. I think the way that this film was put together, that is the prevailing reaction. And Because I have to, have to say, I will say, not to cut you off, I think the filmmakers... Maybe less the filmmakers, but more so um, Rona Jaffe had an agenda. Okay. Is that the, the author of yes, the Yes, yes. I, I the think novel. there was an agenda behind this movie. Okay. And just knowing what the culture was like at this time with the satanic panic, they were there was an agenda. What I found really interesting about the film. So I was I was expecting that movie, knowing the the story that it was based on and the area era that it was made in. I I'm well versed in that that satanic panic situation. Like I that was well, I, I didn't grow you up survived directly <laughs> in that era, but I I grew up in the aftermath. Yeah, of, you were like the you satanic sur- panic. You, you, you kind of survived it because you were right afterwards. Absolutely, like my I didn't play D anD D when I was young, but only because I didn't have enough interested friends interested in playing. Like I bought a D anD D campaign book without the core rule books or anything, and I'm like, I don't understand this at all. 
and nobody was interested in like playing with me to put the work into figuring it out. So, but I played Magic the Gathering, Hero Quest, other very nerdy uh, games in that same kind of world. And I remember my parents, while they didn't stop me from playing it, there was some discomfort in it for them because of the, like them seeing all of that through and then their son is playing with that same stuff. Like they were kind of uncomfortable about it. At first. I, that I, was my impression. I, I, as I do a young have boy. to say, I do have to ask. It just doesn't compute in my brain why anyone was worried about Dungeons and Dragons players. I say this as lovingly as possible. Have they met the people that play Dungeons and Dragons? Well, I think in the 80s, a lot of the... There were the nerdy kids, but also like the metalheads. No, that's... Fair. Were also getting into it, and I think that fed the... It was like rock and roll is gonna turn you to the devil and so is dungeons and dragons it was it was like <laughs> a pen and paper dice game is gonna make to, you worship satan <laughs> but but it had things like summoning demons you yeah, know it it played in the things that that um many of the religious people of that of the very like um conservative religious folks so it, it's kind of like how after Columbine, everybody was complaining about first-person shooters. Fair enough. Right? Okay, like, that makes sense. It, it was the, oh, this is what's doing it. To our, the parents were looking at kids doing drugs and and gangs and being like, it's the D&D and the guitars. You know, that, that that's what they were blaming out of culture for okay, all of that makes the sense. ills. So my theory is that the filmmakers were attempting to defend Dungeons and Dragons in this film, and they, they just didn't do a very good job of it. And I will agree to a certain point, because like, like up until JJ's LARP it, through the, the fucking mine, I actually th remember thinking, it's like, oh, this is actually kind of a loving... Uh, tribute, tribute to yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, especially made in 1982. Like, right. So for a lot of people, this was their first um, viewing of what one of these games is played out like. Um, and I don't know, it's, it almost feels like after Tom Hanks saw that monster, it almost feels like a different filmmaker took over. And it, just... it, it reminded me a bit of the New York sequences from Highlander. The, the dark alley wandering about. There's a hobo in the newspaper pages and, rattling and, through like, the streets. There, there's definitely a nerdiness to this movie. And I think this... I haven't read uh, Rona Jaffe's book. Um, but from what I've come to understand, based on the little bit of research I did, uh, when the new story about uh, James Dallas Egbert came out, uh, she wanted to be. She didn't want someone else to beat her to the punch. So she she poorly researched it herself to get the book out. Because apparently there is another book um, called the Dungeon Master. Yeah. That was written by the investigate the investigator who was looking for Egbert. 
um, and is a more true depiction of what happened. Um, yes. But my uh, there is like a nerdiness to this film, and I'm gonna go on a wing. I'm gonna go on a wing and say that it did not come from Rona Jaffe. I'm gonna say it came from Tom Lazarus, the screenwriter. I believe um, that's true. Uh, and there's there was one line in particular that just sticks out to me. So when Tom Hanks is talking to his fucking character version of himself and he's talking about the the two towers yeah and then jj is like well that's tolkien that you mentioned the two towers now everyone's gonna think of lord of the rings that wasn't something people were talking about in 1982 the the nerds were but it wasn't common knowledge yeah so it's like i don't think some hollywood screenwriter is just gonna know enough about the world of Tolkien to be able to, you know, to make that reference because it wasn't in popular culture in that way. So I don't know. It's, I was enjoying the movie up until a certain point. And I also will say that I might've been in kind of a bad mood while watching it. (laughs) And, um, but like realistically the point, the, the, the one, like the, I guess the lock in, which is, you know, not being sure if Tom Hanks is if he's actually seen these creatures or not should have been up my alley. Yeah, and I just found it really uh, frustrating me, and I think it's also because I felt like there was a significant lack of plot in this film to warrant things that were happening. I think the um, put a pin in that. I want to okay. come back to that, um, but to. Like what? What made me finally come down and decide that my opinion was that this was more loving tribute and defense than it was um, exploitation of the real life events or a condemnation of the game was towards the end when they all went to visit him at his mom's home, and the they they approach the house and the mom is there thank you for coming to see him he'll love to see you but i want you to know that i don't blame you guys and i don't blame the game this is something that she it's very explicit to the point that it like is is very bad right like just flat out like the writing in this movie is not good Mm -hmm. but but very clearly and specifically says, I don't blame you guys, don't blame yourselves, and I don't blame the game. And that's and that's a fair that's a fair point. I think all of the other stuff that and that I felt as well, and given the story that it's based on, I think the filmmakers were trying to spin this story back to no, this was a kid with a mental health problem. It's not that a a role-playing game broke his mind and made him crazy you know that... it almost it almost feels like i'm gonna keep giving the screenwriter credit because <laughs> just just knowing nothing against um uh uh, uh steven hilliard stern i just i know the types of movies he makes okay uh, he, he's an exploitation filmmaker you know the man made rolling justice uh <laughs> Um, which is about like a, a, a semi truck, 
um, a killer semi truck movie, or the park is mine, which is a Tommy Lee Jones movie about a war veteran who takes control of Central Park. Like that's this fucking the, guy. The the whole thing feels like it was made by a production team that normally made eighties porno. One hundred percent. Well, it was it, made for TV, so yeah, same like, production values. The, the soundtrack, the cameras, the the most of the like you're like. These are the porn actors that are like, oh, this is finally going to be my break into real movies. <laughs> and that's how Tom Haynes got out of porn. Yeah. Good for him. He was known <laughs> as the hog for the longest time. Or slap nuts. <laughs> well, slap nuts was, yeah, that was. <laughs> that was his patented move. Uh, I hope Tom Hanks hears this. <laughs> um, and then insists on being on the show to set the record straight. That would be great, honestly. Uh, so, like I said, nothing against Stephen Hilliard Stern. He makes the types of movies that I want to see. But I'm going to give some credit to Tom Lazarus because I honestly feel like um, it almost feels like Tom Lazarus was a or is I don't know uh, uh, a a D and D guy, and he got this job, and he's like, man, this book, okay, this this book's not working. Um, I got this job. How can I do both? Right, right. Because <laughs> because you're you're a hundred percent right. Like I said, I I I think I was just in a poor mood while watching it. No, I I, I I think it's not written well, and because of that, the like, messaging isn't clear. I can't tell what they want their point to be. And to go right. back to, and I definitely do think the film is trying to do their, you know. That this is less to do with mazes and monsters, and more to do with an issue with mental health and childhood trauma about his brother leaving him. Mm-hmm. But they which don't... was not they didn't have the language to talk about that in the eighties yeah. like we do now. Uh, but they couldn't commit to it. I feel like it's just kind of a casually they bring it up in like one maybe two scenes to add some pat to add some pathos. And then it's never brought up again. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I'm saying there's a lack of plot to this story. Absolutely. Because you have that. Um, you have um, Tom Hanks and this girl just fall in love out of nowhere. We don't get anything <laughs> building up to that even happening. Um, and then they fall apart. And then she starts seeing like I just feel like things are happening. And there was none also... Of it- like and JJ's character was I, suicidal and was talking to his bird how he was gonna go into the caves and kill himself, and then that was never brought up. Again. I feel like JJ's character should have been the Tom Hanks character. It's yeah, and and but I feel like they they got to set and they just saw how much better Tom Hanks was and like give him all the parts, give all, I, him all of this. I feel like they took the real life person and they're like, all right, we're gonna adapt this person's story and and change it dramatically but we're also instead of just one guy instead it's like three guys and a chick yeah <laughs> like the, but it's all that's the most unrealistic part singular. there was a girl playing dungeons and dragons in the 80s <laughs> uh, the the misogyny of that era and that uh cross-section of human beings probably would not have allowed for it probably not <laughs> Uh, gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, especially because if you look up, like, okay, granted, this all comes from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I haven't read the fucking book. However, I will say this movie made me want to read 
uh, uh, Rona Joffrey's book, and then I want to read uh, William Deere's book, the the person who wrote the better book. <laughs> yep. But here's the background of D- James Dallas Egbert III, according to Wikipedia, and you tell me which character in this movie he sounds more like. Egbert was born in Dayton, Ohio, and grew up in Huber Heights, a Dayton suburb attending Wayne High School. He was a child prodigy and entered Michigan State University at the age of 16, where he majored in computer sciences. Which character does that sound like? Does that sound like Tom Hanks's character? You know, it sounds like <laughs> the guy who has a different hat in every fucking scene. Yeah. Which was my favorite part. I love right. every scene. Different hat. He committed I- to that. I felt like it kind of worked for his character, like as a 16-year-old on a college campus who was like, 100%. This, this is how I'm going to deal with the impossibility of this social structure. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just feels like they, they – it just – it's the lack of having a main character that re- was really bugging me because it just I felt like the movie started off with us making feel like J.J. was going to be the lead yeah. character. And then it's like – Here's Tom Hanks. He's more interesting. <laughs> they, they just switched everyone's scripts halfway through filming. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, you know, I, I can, I can, based on the way that the film portrayed JJ, I can, it makes more sense to me that he would be the one being driven to school by his parents and them telling him, hey, no, no playing games this year. And, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it makes, it almost, it just, it feels like they were, they were going to make him the, the, the Egbert character, right. and they're like, maybe this is too similar. <laughs> this is too on the nose. Instead, let's give that storyline to this other character who we've written into the film, but only halfway through the film. We're going to still keep the first half where J.J. was that character. Yeah. <laughs> now it's Tom Hanks. And then, like, honestly, like, the way this movie portrayed things, it was like when... um, um. I guess like the 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 classically good looking character Daniel or whatever his name was. Uh, yeah. Um, was it Daniel? Uh, that sounds right to me. But um, whoever the 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 other guy was, the, the the one who was under pressure from his parents to uh, to succeed and and to excel, which also is a factor in the original story that it's based on. Yes. So that's um, another like feature of that individual character that was then spliced onto a different character yeah, in the so, film. Yeah, David Wallace. His, his character's name was Daniel. Um, after Daniel essentially killed JJ's character, and then JJ kind of like became a supervillain there for a little bit, where he's like <laughs> pouting to himself and decides to go to this fucking um, uh, like abandoned mine. And when he's like, "Oh, we're gonna play for real," I really thought it was gonna be JJ killing them. That's uh, that's the I way the movie the was thing. pushing it. Yep. Like when Tom Hanks became like the one with the problems, I'm like where the fuck did that come from? That's not the way this movie portray- was th- was leading us in. I thought JJ was going to set up a scenario where he was like, like death by cop, but death by yeah player character this movie has a really (laughs) chilling intro when they're just showing the mine and they're giving like a uh the news crew is like oh what happened here it goes something happened here and uh the kids play mazes and monsters like it's like uh, it's a crime scene i'm like what the fuck happened in that right and then we find out (laughs) nothing actually happened in that mine because tom hanks doesn't he fucking fucks off to new york city or some shit yeah like it 
it's it's it i feel like okay i, th- I think i figured it out okay this is my breakthrough. This is kind of like you watching Galaxy Quest when you found out what your problem with it really was. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think it's less to do with thematically the the you know the anti D and D bent to it because yeah. that as I'm thinking about it that's n- that pissed me that annoyed me but it's not what pissed me off. I think what pissed me off is this film. It does not know what story it's trying to tell, and it's trying to tell too many, and it doesn't tell any of these stories well. I completely agree. And with I that. think because of that, because there was just like a fucking tonal whiplash in every scene, and I was f- struggling to figure out how we even got to Tom Hanks stabbing a punk in New York City. Um, I think I was just getting pissed off because it's poor storytelling. It's poor yes. filmmaking. Yes. Every um, every act of this film you're trying to get your head around what what you're watching. Yes. And there's Which and, then doesn't allow you to engage with the material. So I think I might enjoy it more the next time around because now that the shock of what the fuck is happening is gone. <laughs> um But I think that's ultimately what was bothering me about this film. Um Yeah. Like I, I think that I, th- I honestly think that's it. It's just a poorly made movie that has some nice stuff. And honestly, uh, this makes me really just want to see a well produced version of this guy's story. So Raina said something that I found so true in that, like this film would make such a good reboot. Yes. Like it was it was pulled off so badly off the bat. But that film would sell now if yes. you if you, do you this made as, it at the quality that it could be made today. You it's take perfect. you take William Deere's book, The Dungeon Master, and you make that like a five to six episode Hulu or Netflix television. D D plus true crime. Yes. That like, this would kill now. It's kind of it would be printing money. <laughs> yes, like I I think there's. All right, something let's edit to that. that out, and then you and me do that. <laughs> we have to get if we can, if we can make we can make this into a, if we can get the rights to the book. Yeah, I don't think we could afford that. We we would need to have an angel investor. I think we could put together a pretty strong pitch. Yeah. Well, let's let's do some digging and figure out who who owns the uh, estate to <laughs> William Deere. He's alive. Oh, nice. So he does. <laughs> and he was a, and he's a Democrat. Even better. Ooh, there he's we a go. Democrat from Texas. Ooh, that's that's a rare breed. What? Austin, I'm guessing. Uh, it just says Dallas based. Okay. You know what's originally weird? What originally weird? What's weird is the 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 Dallas the James Dallas Egbert like. Uh, case was originally known as the steam tunnel incident. <laughs> I think I remember, <laughs> which is that. super funny to me. <laughs> That's that would be the name of the of the miniseries, the steam tunnel incident. Hey, William C. Deer and Associates Incorporated on Facebook. Nice. Hey, well, what, what what are you doing with those rights? You you, yeah. you, you want to just uh, you know let us have them. <laughs> I kind of want to read this book. Anyways. Con- okay. <laughs> as, as I said, this won't be the last time that I watch this. 
I there is a Blu-ray release of this film. I do want to tell you. Nice. And there's a commentary track with I don't know the people's names, but it says RPG Legends. So people who are involved with D and D apparently did a fucking commentary track. (laughs) I should tell you about that. Um, My kind of takeaway at the end of the day is. I am going to enjoy this movie in the same exact way that I love your The Hunter from the Future. Okay, like, that's fair. There are so many moments. It, a, the, excuse me, the D&D thing alone, like, I kind of had this, a similar reaction as I have to things like Rocky Horror Picture Show or these these kind of call and response um films that have these very committed small uh groups of fans like i could see me and my D group getting together and watching this so that we could do the dramatic tom hanks lines when he's on the on the payphone. i think i killed someone i don't think it's as fun as i don't think it's as fun at all like I had a blast watching this movie. Oh, it's God. so ridiculous. I, I just don't think it's that fun at all. Oh, I, I, I find it curious that that can't. I think the low production value totally changes it for me. <laughs> and I have to say, where I watched it, I watched it off a of Peacock. It looks like a straight VHS rip. Oh yeah, no. It, uh, what did I watch it on? It wasn't Peacock, but oh, it was and I, another. And I had to. I, funny enough, when I was watching it, it cut off the last minute of the movie, so I had to go to a different app just so I could watch the last <laughs> so you minute. Finish it because yeah, the... it, it, it ended right with them like walking up to Tom Hanks at at the when he's looking at the lake, and I was like, "Do I need to see the last scene?" And I did because that last scene changes the movie where he's it's... still in care. But it's like I almost gate. I almost like yeah, fuck the last minute of this movie. The all the last six scenes or so were such a roller coaster ride because it was, as we've established, like the story is not told well, mm-hmm. and you can feel them trying to wrap a bunch of shit up. And they do it in like the worst way possible. That the car ride scene leading up to that house was so like, well, gang, we did it. Oh, you got into college or your next. That's wonderful. As for me, here's what I'm doing with the rest of my life. Gee whiz, I sure hope Tom Hanks is doing well. Well, we're gonna see him in a minute. Let's go. Like it I know, was, it's like they're all doing it was so well. So and he's, bad. He, he, they're all doing so well, and he's still. <laughs> Thinks he's a fucking druid. It was so like I I understand that this was made for TV and in 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 this era made for TV stuff had a totally different tone than stuff like made from TV made for TV or streaming play like the game is so different now. This that like mazes and monsters has that like kind of PSA ending like. Oh, it's a good thing you told me about those drugs, son. Stay in school. You know, like the the ending of it was so made for TV that it made me like uncomfortable and nostalgic and happy all at the same time. Honestly, one thing I was really hoping from the character of JJ, I was really hoping he was another hat. be that what? Another hat. I was hoping he's gonna be that character that carries dice with him and and makes decisions based on dice rolls. Yes. Not once was a decision made by a dice roll in this movie. God damn it. 
And they, they could, oh my god, our new our new version of it could have like an almost an Inception ending where the character of JJ, is, he, he decides things by dice rolls, and like he goes, like, they're like, uh, they, they, they can make some like dramatic choice of Tom Hanks, and he goes to roll the dice, and it's just still spinning, still <gasps> spinning, and the movie fucking ends before we figure what? out what happened. <laughs> no! <laughs> That's our top spinning. I love it. <laughs> I would love to get Finn Wolfhard to play Tom Hanks' character. Because he already has that like uh, Stranger Things like D and D connection. Want, I want Finn Wolfhard just to play Tom Hanks. I want him to do a Tom Hanks impression through the entire movie. Oh, I thought of another like really fun like here's here's my conspiracy theory for okay. Mazes and Monsters that Tom Hanks that the that the character Tom Hanks played didn't go crazy that Tom Hanks the actor went crazy went into like started living his character and never stopped and this whole like America's dad like thing that's his character that he can't stop role playing <laughs> there it is oh <laughs> uh, i think that's our i think that's that you know that's solid i'm going to choose to go with that <laughs> what else do I, I did take note oh the other thing that I really, like the big picture thing that I took away from this film, as I have said multiple times, this film is not made well. However, in every shot, I can feel like the same guerrilla filmmaking spirit that I felt making films. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you can... You can see how they're trying to do a lot with a little bit, and they're not pulling it off. But God damn it, I'm rooting for them every step of the way. Yeah, I get that. Like I, I there was like a Wild West quality to <laughs> made for TV movies, and even like some of the higher quality TV shows at the time, like you know, you watch Columbo and there's right? sometimes where it kind of feels like a, an indie film because they're trying to make something that's filmic, but on a TV schedule. Right. Right. And those Columbo episodes were, were like 90 minutes long, weren't they? Yeah. They're like the one I watched last night was an hour and 15. It's crazy. They, they made a film every, and the twilight zone did that for one season too. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Columbo though, they, what they did, they, they only released an episode like once every like other month because of that, <laughs> of that shooting schedule. But you know, or like something it's, like Magnum PI, Magnum PI feels like, they're stretching that fucking budget as far as they possibly yeah. can go. Speaking of great mustaches. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> mustache. And then uh, when we do a, a very Brady Christmas this year, there's going to be nothing but mustaches. <laughs> Glorious. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, it's safe to say, I, like I said, I think upon a rewatch, I don't think I'll have like the just, annoyance that i did the first time now that i've settled on what my annoyance is uh but i just like when i first watched it like said something was bothering me something just felt off and then finding that it was based on a true story yeah and finding out a little more about the person it's based on i then started getting frustrated that it just wasn't a better story of that person (laughs) like right I i just wanted like i saw the path of what this could have been. And then it pissed me off that we got what we did. Mm-hmm. 
it was executed very poorly. Yes. And I think that there is a seed of something really cool in it. Yes. That is what makes me want to remake the usually like things that I love. It's like, well, that was made good. Why would I want to redo it? Like you'd have to have a really you'd have to have something very specific to say in order to justify remaking something. Whereas this, like, yes, I would still have something important to say. I have the connection to that source material that I think would would I I would be able to put something special into it, but also it was just done so badly the first time that that alone makes it worth <laughs> worth redoing. You think we could get Tom Hanks to do a cameo as like Robbie's dad? I think that ooh, I, the the realist in me says not a chance in hell, but that would be the absolute if we like put something really special together and presented it to him and said like here's what we're trying to do here's what we've d- done it's done and we would love if you believe in what we've done in the spirit of what we've done would you be interested in kind of signing off on it by participating like there there is that it's not an impossibility you know what I think we could do? So my other thought was like instead of Tom Hanks playing someone, it could be like almost there could be like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style like opening narration, kind of like giving some of the backstory, and that could be done by Tom Hanks. But then I thought, eh, we probably can't afford Tom Hanks, but you know who we can afford? <laughs> Colin Hanks? Jim Hanks. <laughs> Jim Hanks is Tom Hanks real life brother <laughs> who does the voice of woody whenever tom hanks can't be bothered to do oh it. my god yes so if you're like uh there's so many times where if there's uh, the voice of woody it's more than likely jim hanks unless it's one of the movies <laughs> one of the main three uh yeah. or four is it no like every um. video game that has had woody in it has been jim hanks I love how he's just like, yeah, sure, what the hell, I'll do that. Yeah, if we can't get Tom Hanks, we can get A. Hanks. Maybe maybe we can get Chet, you know. <laughs> I don't think that would have the same <laughs> impact. It would be a very different movie if we got Chet Hanks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we could afford Colin or Tom, but we can, I think we can get Jim, I, and we can right. probably get Chet. Actually, I feel like Chet's going to charge more than Jim. I don't know why. I, I just have that feeling. I, I also think Chet would be a project destroyer. I think he he would not conform to the vision. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a road bro. Yeah, fuckboy summer. <laughs> um, all, right. all right, enough of the Hankses. <laughs> the, so I had two separate Thrill House moments. Okay. There was the first one that like ins- that connected to the D and D player in me. Funny enough, there, real quick, I do have to say yeah. I had two as well, even Ooh. though I didn't like the movie. But continue. Yes. Yep. Um, so so the first one was when they were first playing in the caves, and somebody says, "Let's split up," and then Tom Hanks goes, "No, no, 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 no! I don't think that's a good idea." It was like I I don't know if it was intentional because I don't know if the trope of splitting the party had really developed yet but as a modern D player who has seen a 
billion memes about like not splitting the party and I laugh every time the party that I DM for considers it like that was the no don't split the party moment that <laughs> I have to say there was a really funny moment after that scene too like after they got out of the the uh the mines and they're talk like um uh, they're like, oh, we should do this again. And Tom Hanks is like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I just love that they're all like, oh, fuck off, Tom Hanks. Like they're all just like, eh, this is too good. Leave us, you know, shut up. What? What are you gonna go crazy and think that you're your character? <laughs> like I just love how oh. they just dismissed him. Like, like eh, <laughs> shut up. Oh, uh, funny enough though, real quick, I do want to say before you t- give me your other thrill house yeah. moment, this movie does have an interesting Toy Story connection. What? Yes, it's. Is Tim Allen in this goddamn movie? No, but I'll give you one better. So, um, Wendy Crewson, who plays the only female in this yeah. group, yeah. Uh, she was in, so she was in this with Tom Hanks. She was also the the mother in The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Stop it! <laughs> I swear to God. Mad what? Wow. So there's there's definitely a Toy Story comparison there. <laughs> That's she funny. Was, she did a movie with both Buzz and Woody. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me you had the Thrill House moment, Nick. <laughs> uh, so the other Thrill House moment was when I accepted this film for what it was, which is a really badly produced Canadian made-for-TV movie. And that was the the alley like greaser stabbing sequence, where like they keep cutting. There's to, blood on my knife. To, right, they keep cutting to Tom Hanks like <laughs> seeing the monster that is clearly like a costume, but it kind of works because that was it's like straight his out traumatizing. Of old, mis- it's straight out of an old Doctor Who episode, right? Like there was. It was so bad, and Tom Hanks fucking went so hard on it that I'm like, okay, this is my new You're the Hunter from the Future. I'm going to watch this over and over again, and I'm going to love it for what it is, a piece of shit that I love. Yeah. So that was fair. my second Thrill House moment. So my my two Thrill House moments, like I said, even though I didn't really enjoy the movie, I, I think I might have been a little hard on it. My, my original rating in the letterbox, it might go up an extra half star, but it... I have to rewatch it again. But my uh, my first throw house moment was surprisingly actually was the opening scene. Like was the opening yeah. of uh, before they brought in the really cheesy like theme song, but like with the it had like a Night of the Living Dead Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre like, vibe to it. It, just, it was very somber and like this whole, like I love this concept that we know something something bad happens in these tunnels. And then we we do the fucking Flintstones intro where we <laughs> we show where it goes, and then we go back to the beginning to show how we get there. Yeah, classic Flintstones structure. <laughs> um, and then we're getting to know these characters, so it's like, oh, that's a really strong way to begin this movie. Um, and it just they wasted it. Uh, my other thrill house. <laughs> they moment, set you up high so that you had yeah. so much further to fall. My other thrill house moment was when JJ gets this great idea to go down to the caverns, because I really thought this was going to become a very different movie. <laughs> like, the way this movie built it up, with that beginning and everything, you just really think JJ's going to fucking kill someone. In yeah. Or going to be responsible for someone dying in here. Yeah. Um, 
Like it could have easily become like the descent, but instead of like actual creatures, they they just think they're seeing creatures and they're murdering each other. Like there's yep. there was something there, uh, and I was like, oh, this an is X Files episode. Yeah, it's like oh, this is going to become something really interesting, and it comes smack dab in the middle of the film. Like oh, this is like because like oh, we had our loving tribute to D and D and everything, but now here's the fucking movie, right? And it, I was really excited, and then they once again wasted it. Yep. <laughs> They kept you on the hook just long enough to keep letting you down. And then, like, I almost, like, I was almost like, man, I don't like this movie. And then Tom Hanks was like, there's blood on my eyes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's pretty amusing. But... Right? Whenever he got really upset, um, the, also when they finally find him in New York, he's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> and I just love when they find him. Granted, I, I, you know, his whole thing is like, oh, I'm going to fly or whatever. Like, his yeah. character can fly for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> L- um, LSD. <laughs> but, like, I love that he's just looking over the edge. And it's, just, and it's the one time in this movie where I was like, oh, I can see Tom Hanks in this role. Like, because it just reminded me of him in Big, where he was just like, just this childlike thing of him looking over the edge of the tower. I'm like, yeah. oh, I, I could see him doing that in Big. Right. Yeah. Um, so there were two other things that I wanted to mention before we wrap up the conversation. Uh, they're smaller things. Um, but and then the, I, did, like, I did have a question for you too, before we wrap up too. Okay. So um, one was, did you notice how many shots they reused during the twin towers chase sequence? Yes. Like at, there was a moment where I thought the film had like jumped back and I was rewatching something that I had already seen it's because I was, but not because the film went back. It's because they kept reusing hey, shots. I, I, in an edit, I've had to do shit like that, too, so I get it. I, I get the need for it, but I've never seen it used so blatantly. Like, in, in very obvious shots and so... Rip- and used so blatantly where it's not a joke. Because Lloyd Coffin's done it, but he's to- done it for a joke. With, yeah, no, this was like... We need to make this chase scene twice as long. Okay, take the shots wow, we need and some play time them in between again. Commercial breaks, right? Like it was, it was off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I wanted to say, another like, it was so bad, it was funny. Was as Tom, they know that Tom Hanks is in New York, and they're freaking. We gotta save our friend. The the cops aren't gonna do anything. You know, we gotta do it. And then they go over to. I think JJ's house, one of their houses, and he's like, "Oh, my mom redecorated my room, and it's just what I what I've always wanted." They had that like conversation earlier where, "Mom, you don't get me. The room is my sanctuary." Like, especially why because the like fuck I feel was like, that storyline. I think it's mostly because his room originally looked like a fucking uh, uh, a, a hospital, hospital room, a hospital and room. I was like, "Oh, here's a kid that probably just got out of a mental hospital, and then his room looks like." Everything in this movie shows that JJ should be the one losing his fucking mind. Yeah. You you could have done something really good with it. And instead, the so-called payoff to that room bit interrupted and took away from the momentum of saving their friend. Yeah. It was so badly timed. <laughs> oh, it's really it's really nice in here, JJ. Ooh, ooh, this is and snazzy. Then, like, and and then, it really just it just screams JJ. And just thinking about it too, it's like so JJ he takes it kind of personally when Tom Hanks and uh Wendy Crewson start seeing each other and then his character do- it's like they yeah, they 
they break up because he can't have sex because his character told him so in a dream. But then there was also like no, they're like, okay, they're just not dating anymore. And they moved, all of that story yeah. buildup was well, for but, nothing. But like, like I said, JJ handled it weird when he found out they were yeah. dating. And I was yeah. like, oh, is this going to be like one of the things that sets JJ off? And nope, uh, they just never bring it up again. <laughs> nope. It's like this movie is just, it brick walls itself. Yep. And I can't wait to see that moment again and scream at the TV and love it. <laughs> So I need. I wanted to ask you, uh, since you came in wanting to to discuss this movie, when when did this movie hit? Come come on, when did this movie like come across your radar? Because for me, I didn't even heard of it until I was I was like years ago when we were still living in Maguanago. So this is around season one. Okay, um, I was go. I was just scrolling through Amazon and I just saw it pop up and it had Tim, Tom Hanks. And I was like, what the fuck is this? When did you first hear about this movie, and what did you know about it going in? So I knew loosely that there was this story, this real-life story about a kid who, uh, and actually a lot of times the story is told improperly, where he goes down into the caves and gets lost and dies, when really I, what I believe happened is he just did go down and play D and D in these caves, but then he like went home and killed himself. Yeah. He, he threatened, he, they went down to the, the steam tunnels to, to essentially warp. Um, and then, uh, he, I think he wrote like a suicide note and went down there with that intent. And when they went down there, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm telling the story correctly uh, people, but they didn't find him and they, it turns out he ran away or something. Right. Um, so the, I, I was aware of this story and, and its connection to the Satanic Panic. Um, I I had heard that they made a film out of it, and that was all the more that okay. I knew uh, for quite a long time. I'd say 10, 12 years ago, maybe. And then maybe five years ago, probably when probably around the same time it started popping up on streaming services right as D is getting more popular than ever um i think then it just got referenced enough that and then i made the tom hanks connection and that was when i'm like okay this is something that i want to experience i want to see the telling of this story um which turned out to not really be a telling of that story which again like isn't like, I don't have an issue with I, just that the story that they were telling, they didn't tell it well, or they were telling too many stories at the same time, or, you know, however you want to word it. Um, so uh, strongly for about four or five years in a more passive way for over a decade. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because like I said, I hadn't even heard of it, so I was curious if it was something that, was talked about in amongst D and D circles, and like I said, it must be popular enough that Plumeria Pictures out of the UK put out a special edition Blu-ray of it. Nice. So, I'm gonna have to get my hands on that. <laughs> yeah, presented in HD for the first time anywhere in the world because everywhere in the world it looks like shit. <laughs> it's still just like a Blu-ray release of the VHS dub. The, the slip cover has like. Dungeons and Dragons dice with blood, and I find it really funny because it's like 
I don't think we even saw dice in this movie. Nope. <laughs> uh, but no, it, or it's, blood. Yeah, except on his knife. And my knife. Like I said, there's only two features, but it's got an exclusive audio commentary of RPG legends Seth Skorkowski, Scott Dorward, Joe Trier, and Veronica Escamilla Brady, and Ehogan Falvey. I don't know who any of those people are. Okay. If it made you feel any better, I do not either. And then an eight-page essay from film and games writer Dan Jolin. So people must have shit to say about this fucking movie. Right? I'd be... I, I am curious having now watched the film what the what kind of the impression of the portrayal of D and this particular historical event like what the community thinks of it because i recognized that i had a different reaction than many people do yeah well, that are more in line with what your reaction was same thing with galaxy quest like there's yep. a lot of uh trekkers who love galaxy quest and then you didn't so uh and then yep. it'd be interesting too because like i said i've you know i've i've scoured um letterboxd and it's it's a combination of like this movie fucking sucks and then <laughs> people rate it five stars and being like this movie fucking sucks <laughs> <laughs> like it, it it goes back to like we've talked about like how we rate things yeah. a lot and for me this is like a one star film that i slam that heart button on just yeah, like and just I get, like your and that i can understand completely yeah. uh but i'd be curious to see it like people who are like like yourself who are lifelong D aficionados uh what the general consensus is there right and then i'm curious like is the guy who created D still alive gary well uh the guy who created it is a hotly contested subject it's commonly thought to be Derry Gygax, um, who is no longer alive. But he is from the, I believe he's actually from Clinton, Wisconsin, which is, uh, but Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, is kind of the, the home of TSR and, and the origins. Um, there, uh, I think, uh, I might be screwing up these names. I'm, uh, I apologize to my fellow nerds. I believe Ed Greenwood is another one who was around in those days who was fundamental in in creating the game and making it what it was. I believe he created the Forgotten Realms I'm campaign cu- world. I'm just curious if any of the if any of those people had seen this movie when it came out and I would have loved to have heard their thoughts. Yeah. Uh funny enough, I'm looking up just Dungeons and Dragons on Wikipedia and like you said, Gary Gygax is yep. there and they have a little picture of him and they also have Dave Arneson. That um, name sounds very. I know that it's name. It's funny that you click on their pictures; they look like they could be the same person, right? <laughs> um, I also love that, like the Lake Geneva thing, because you walk through Lake Geneva and there's like a a, a stone in the ground that's dedicated to like this is the birthplace of Dungeons and Dragons, yep, or the birthplace of the guy who birthed Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, I was also I I also had a little bit of a, a giggle to myself when I was researching this movie, and I said, that's when I found the whole thing about um, uh, uh, James Dallas Egbert. Uh, and what I find really funny about it, what is the simple fact that except the Wikipedia page on him has a little bit of information, but not a lot. But what I find really amusing is the section about his disappearance. It says Egbert left his dormitory room at Case Hall on August 15, 1979, after writing a suicide note and entered the university's steam tunnels. 
He consumed some methaqualin, some a quaalude, uh, in, intending to commit suicide, but he survived. He woke up the next day and went into hiding at a friend's house. This is the part that makes me laugh. Um, Gen Con 12, a convention dedicated to tabletop role-playing, uh, began that day in Wisconsin, and some attenders reported they have seen him there. Like, why <laughs> is that part of it? <laughs> that uh, sounds like the, uh, the home detective sleuths going like, all right, we have evidence of him at Gen Con on this day, the last yeah. time he was seen. Yeah, I think that's Mazes and Monsters, unless you got anything else you want to talk about, Nick. No, I I really enjoyed this conversation. I am not the least bit surprised by your reaction, and I think yours is the uh, the more accurate one. <laughs> and I have no problem loving this dumbass movie for well, the dumbass movie that it is. I can't wait for you to hear the conversation that Josephine and I have about Spice World, because <laughs> I, I feel like it's going to be an interesting, like... This episode and Spice World together. It's going to be an interesting couple yeah. episodes. Yep. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. This has been a strange season thus far of the Shameless Picture Show. It's, hey, you know what? It wouldn't be the Shameless if we uh, did it all nice and normal and organized and yep. non-chaotic. <clears throat> and then the next episode you guys will be hearing, me and Nick will be returning with... Uh, um, Fuck, what was the title of that movie? The uh, Up Chung? in Smoke. Up in, I was thinking, it's still smoking, but I was like, no, that's the sequel one. <laughs> What's the first one? Up in Smoke. Up, up in Still Smoking. Yeah, we're going to be watching the Cheech and Chong movie, um, Up in Smoke. Um, funny have enough, you seen this? I might have. My dad loved <laughs> Cheech and Chong, and so I've seen bits and pieces, if not whole movies of theirs, but I don't know which one. I, I oh, couldn't okay. tell them apart. Okay. So I might have. But I have this movie on VHS, so I'm going to watch it in the in the VHS room. I love it. Awesome. Which feels like the best way to watch this. Yeah, yeah. And I hope... Uh, I, or I hope, high. Yeah, I hope everyone, if you guys watch the movies along with us... Get super duper stoned to listen and watch the movie, and then get super duper stoned to listen to us talk about the movie. That sounds like a date. Yeah, should be a good time for all. <laughs> awesome. All right, Nick. Well, as always, if you guys are enjoying the show, make sure you come back next time. Shame time, shame place, shameless shame station. Done. <laughs> I removed shame station because that one it just shame station yeah you sound like sean connery trying to say it it's kind of hard to say yeah uh i still am i'm still working out the kinks on that on that call sign (laughs) we didn't we didn't always go back yeah Eh, maybe it was a pipe dream this is what the show is (laughs) that's right the show is the show is us figuring shit out (laughs) just like our lives after seven seasons we don't know what the fuck's going on No. no no never will no but uh It's always nice talking to you, Nick. You too, buddy. I miss you. (laughs) I miss you too. That was a great episode. I had a lot of fun. It was. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10Speed. The Shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn, 
You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.